Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word. Amen. Let's take our seats. And let's bow our heads in prayer as we come now to God's Word. Our Lord, we have uh, sung, Be Thou Our Vision. And as a church, we wish nothing less and nothing more. We pray, Lord, that you would not only remind us, but also clarify and uh, motivate as we think through your vision for your church. And so we say, be thou our vision. In Jesus' name. Amen. The vision we have as a church is summarized in three words, proclaiming the gospel. And those three words are articulated in a sentence. The God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That is our vision, it's not changing. But each year, on our annual Vision Sunday, we look at our vision and re-articulate it, remind ourselves of it, re-express it, get fired up again about it. My goal this morning is not to list a set of new programs. It is certainly not to articulate a different vision than the one that we already have, proclaiming the gospel, the God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaimed in us as a church and through us to the world by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is our vision. But instead to look at Jesus' teaching about his followers in Matthew chapter 5 and see how that underlines the importance of our vision in our day right now and for the year ahead. In these famous words in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is addressing his uh, followers, having announced uh, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, those 
well-known words. And now he comes to tell them something that must have seemed utterly extraordinary when it was first said. Jesus is saying, if we put it in contemporary terms, something like this. When you, you followers of mine, are different and are seen to be different, then the world around will glorify God by following me too. That at least is the case I'm going to be making, and it underlines the importance of our vision today of proclaiming the gospel as we think about our own church to remind ourselves with uh, this annual vision Sunday, but also when we are very aware, I think most of us who are church people and aware of what's going on in churches today, that there is great confusion about the nature of what a church is, and so to remind ourselves our vision of proclaiming the gospel from these words of Jesus here, that when followers of Jesus are different and seem to be different, the world around will glorify God by following Jesus too, becomes of great significance. Churches today are so confused as to what the point of a church is, what the vision of a church should be. We've been influenced by business practices, by a consumeristic mentality, by salesmanship. And we've forgotten the core, the heart of who we are truly meant to be. And so we need to remind ourselves of that, especially as we're also aware of the great need of our world today. With Ukraine, with the shootings we prayed about earlier, with the sense that we feel that the world is in chaos, that we're going through a, a season of our society that is not only changing but but. devaluing, deconstructing, dissolving. And so Jesus here has some words of wonderful encouragement. When we, <laughs> when you, you followers of mine, Jesus says, are different and are seen to be different, well, then that, that will impact the world. Then the people around will glorify God by following me too. Let's see how Jesus makes that case here in these words this morning. The first element I want to bring out of that case that we're making about when we're different and seem to be different, then the world around will glorify God and by following Jesus too. The first part I want to bring out is the clear emphasis that Jesus has as he looks out 
at those he's addressing. Did, did you pick it up when it, was, when it was read? Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, verse 14. You are the light of the world. And then uh, slightly different grammar, but the same Look out at the people, he says, verse 16, in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, you. What an extraordinary thing that must have been to have heard when it was first articulated. Imagine yourself in that situation. There's Jesus becoming reasonably well known in this little backwater of northern part of Israel, Judah, Galilee, in the context of the massive power of the Roman Empire. And Jesus looks out at his followers, Galileans, business people, mothers, Children, peasants, and says, it's you. You're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What an extraordinary thing for him to have said. Surely Jesus must have had a technologically sophisticated plan to change the world, surely Jesus would have gathered the most famous orators, the most wealthy patrons, the, the most gifted strategists, the, the most powerful generals with the most powerful military force in the world in order to change the world. Surely that would have been God's strategy, but no. Jesus goes up to a mountain. The crowd of Galileans come to him. The inner circle of disciples gather around him. He looks out at the disciples and says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And as Matthew records these words of Jesus, and writes them in his book for those early Christian churches gathered as Jewish believers and Gentile believers, I think, too, throughout Israel and Syria, and maybe as far away as India, an early copy of Matthew's gospel was said to have been kept in India. It's certainly, certainly possible. Scattered throughout the world, surrounded by the world, pressurized. Matthew wants them to hear those words of Jesus that must have been so astonishing to hear the first time and equally remarkable to hear read out again to those early Christian disciples. You, you little community, you're the salt of the earth. It's you who are going to have that kind of impact. 
And as God in his sovereignty has kept this word for us, Jesus, through his word, looks out at us too here at Cotter's Church. You're the sword of the earth. You are the light of the world. You. It's amazing. Extraordinary. When... um, one of my children was a little younger than he is now. Some of you would know I have uh, four children. I won't tell you which one this is. I'm not allowed to tell stories about my older children, so it's not them. But uh, <laughs> this um, child was quite into soccer, football, as it should be called. <laughs> and those of you who watched young children play soccer, know that it's not a very sophisticated game at five years old. They run around in clumps like, like a, a herd of buffalo after a game. And, and, and the coaches, poor things, uh, try to tell them how to play. They, the, the coaches, I think, have been watching uh, Barcelona play or Manchester United or Man City. And they say, you go over there, you go over there, pass the ball back, and then do this, and then do that. And the poor, the poor coaches, none of that happens. The children sort of run around in a clump after the ball like this. Well, one year, I, I've only coached... Um, this particular child's soccer team once. And one year I was asked uh, to be a coach, and I think because of my accent, they thought I'd know what I was talking about. (laughs) And so I agreed, and I did play um, soccer growing up, of course, as just about every Englishman has. And so I agreed to coach my child's game, and I decided, we were told that at that stage of coaching, the coaches shouldn't try to win. It's just fun. And I decided I wasn't going to do that. We were going to win. (laughs) And that would be fun. (laughs) That was how I rationalized it. (laughs) So I got this little group of uh, young children together, and I said, look, you've heard all these complicated things about how to play. Forget it all. If you do this, I guarantee you will win. Here's what you need to do. See this little round thing here? It's called a football or a soccer ball. Kick it as hard as you can in the direction of the other people's goal. That's it. If you do that and always do that and always that way, not not the wrong way, that way, you will win every single game. I guarantee it. And sure enough, An undefeated season. (laughs) So, (laughs) in a similar sort of way, Jesus looks out at his people, that group of five-year-old sophisticated soccer players, And says, you've heard all these complicated things about changing the world. It's you who's going to do it, but you know what? 
Just get that soccer ball and kick it in that direction, and you'll win. What is the strategy? What he tells us here, it is to be different and to be seen to be different. Or in Jesus' word, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? In other words, you, you need to maintain your distinction, your difference. The you is the, the you that he's described already in the Beatitudes that is an articulation not of moral, impressive behavior, but a simple Galilean peasant's who receive the gospel. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, you are happy if you recognize you need Jesus and call out to him to fill you with his righteousness, not yours. Gospel people. You, if you maintain that distinctiveness, if you don't lose your saltiness. Now, a lot of people have got confused about this because salt is used in a different way today than it was in those days. Salt was always used for taste, to make things taste better. But in those days, it was also used as a preservative to stop things going bad and rotting. And what Jesus is here saying is not only should you make things taste better, but you, if you maintain your distinctiveness, if you're different, will be the moral preservatives of the society around you. Be different. Sodium chloride cannot lose its saltiness, but salt can get compromised by dust and dirt. Be different. How we need to hear that word today, I think, as churches. We have heard so often that we should be relevant, that we should be... Uh, Connecting that we should be creative, and, and I'm all for all of that sort of jazz. And I'm not saying, nor is Jesus saying, of course, that we should deliberately be old fashioned or out of date, as if we should all wear sandals like Jesus did, presumably. But morally, spiritually, we're to be different. And not to feel like we have to fit in. If you're a Christian, you will not fit in. Relax about it. You're different. You're marching to the beat of a different drum. I remember when we invited uh, someone to church and we asked them, a non-Christian who came to church, we asked them afterwards what the experience was like. They didn't talk about the sermon, they didn't talk about the music, they didn't talk about the content or, or any of that. They, they, they said what it had felt like and what it had felt like to them, this person said, was it seemed warm. They weren't talking about the heating. What this person meant was, it seemed different. They sensed there was a presence there. And they didn't have the language yet 
to describe accurately in theological terms what that presence was, but it felt warm, different, distinct. I'm not sure this is the best way of putting it, but it was the only way I could think of it this week when I was thinking how to like underline this part of the, the, the message. You know that Austin in Texas has a phrase which is, keep Austin weird. In a certain sense, Cottage Church, keep Cottage Church weird. We're different. That's okay. But then Jesus also says, be seen to be different. He says, doesn't he, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And again, you've got to imagine the context there. In the ancient world, where of course, there was no electricity and no lights in that sense. You, you wouldn't have been able to uh, have a light with you wherever you went. And so if you're out in the countryside and there was a, a, a city up on the hill and you look up at the hill, and of course, they'd have their torches as people went around and you were dra- traveling in the night and you'd see the city on a hill with all its lights unmissable. It's a bit like when you travel into Chicago and you see those huge skyscrapers. Cannot miss it. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. College Church, we should not hide. Yes, we are to be different, but we need to be seen as well. Obvious. Unmissable. The average person walking around isn't spending their every day thinking about church and God's stuff. We need to make it obvious. Be different, but be seen to be different too. Now, a lot of Christians have wrestled with exactly what this means. I mean, Jesus says here, let your good works be seen. You think, well, later in the sermon, Jesus actually says, don't practice your deeds of righteousness before men to be seen by them. But you see here, the motivation is different. If you're practicing your deeds of righteousness before people to be glorified by them, then that's wrong. But if you're doing what it means to be different to follow Jesus visibly with the motivation and desire that God will be glorified, then you want to make that as unmissable as a city set on a hill. Paul, in his uh, letter to the Corinthians, has a long, famous passage where he talks about this. He says, I'm boasting in my weakness. There is a right kind of boasting. And that kind of boasting is, I'm a broken sinner. I'm messed up like everyone else. I was in a meeting speaking to some business leaders on uh, Friday morning, uh, just giving my testimony about things that happened to my life. And I was texting with someone else afterwards. afterwards. He said it was very encouraging. It's good to know that pastors are human. It's like, well, yes. good to know that Christians are not morally perfect. Of course, we wouldn't be a Christian if we thought we were morally perfect. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are the broken who know they need healing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they know they need God's righteousness. You boast in your weakness. The Japanese have a um, form of pottery artwork that illustrates this reasonably well, I think. They, if a pot or a vessel of some kind or other breaks, instead of throwing it into the trash, there's a kind of artwork the Japanese have that's called kintsugi that, that takes those broken pieces of pottery and artwork and sticks them back together again, but not only sticks them back together again, but joins them with, with gold so that the, the broken pieces in the pot are now art. And so it is with Christians. Our brokenness by God's Spirit is healed and made well so that one day we will see Him face to face in glory. And in the meantime, we make visible who God is, that He loves people like you and me who are so undeserving of His love. And yet he loves us. Be different, but be seen to be different. Make it obvious. Don't hide. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't hide. Be the sword of the earth. Be the light of the world. Be different. Be seen to be different. And then, Jesus says, as that proclaiming the gospel, that distinctiveness is then promoted, then, Jesus says, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean they'll get together and sing Kumbaya songs? Does he mean that they'll get together and know Handel's Messiah off by heart? Does he mean that they'll be particularly morally impressive people? What, what does he mean when he says they'll glorify your Father in heaven? What Jesus is referring to here is, I believe, when the God's people gathered around that first mountain when the law was given and they heard from God's prophet Moses and they responded saying they had seen the glory of God and His greatness. And now one greater than Moses is here. Who, according to Matthew, fulfills all of those promises in the person of the very Son of God. And when His followers, when the followers of Jesus are both different because they're transformed by His power and seen to be different. Then the people around will realize only God only God could do that only God could take a group of Galilean peasants and transform the world which is exactly what he did Christianity is often accused these days of being wrong about slavery and 
there's no doubt that we should have been more different on that at, at some points in church history. But bed embedded in the Bible is the truth that in Christ there is no slave nor free. And that message transformed the Roman Empire to get rid of slavery that was then wrongly reintroduced by the British. And then got rid of by a Christian and his supporters and fellow laborers called Wilberforce. But also in America, did you know that two-thirds of the abolitionists, two-thirds, two out of every three, were Christian clergy? That's something the media will not tell you. Abortion is big on the news right now. It's become a controversial thing that the Supreme Court may get rid of it. And did you know that in the ancient world, abortion was prevalent and common and that babies were left exposed on trash heaps and dumped in rivers and pharmacological medicine was used to get rid of babies in the uterus and it was outlawed by a Christian emperor called Valentinian in the 4th century, and may it be outlawed again. And if it is, let history record that it was Christians who beat that drum. And if it is, and in time to come, there are tens of thousands of people walking this earth who otherwise would have been dead, May they glorify God and follow Jesus. This little group of Galilean peasants, you are, and it happened. It was true. From the Aztecs who committed the grossest kinds of human sacrifice, the Mayans too, with all the confusion and wrong that was done in those countries as well. Nonetheless, it was Christian influence that put a stop to human sacrifice. To the feet binding of women in the Chinese continent that were bound to make them look more seductive for their husbands and suitors and young girls had their feet broken and permanently wrecked so they could hardly walk, if walk at all, was finally put to a stop in 1912 by the advocacy, through the advocacy of Christian missionaries, a story you will not hear the media tell. And today, in our own little way, here at College Church, as we love our neighbors, as, yes, we speak the truth, but in love, as we're different and are seen to be different. God, in His mercy, has brought us through what remains of this pandemic with a financially blessed year. 
with a huge membership class, with a church plant down in Atlanta, with many other church plants that are supporting globally, including one in London that our resident is going to go and work with in the future, with an initiative on hospitality and love, initiative on discipleship, our pathway, discover, grow, impact, our crossings building with the Clapham School and the Stars resale stock and that final third that's going to be used too for God's glory as a team meets to figure out exactly how we can be a crossover with the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community around. And so much more to come. And the way to win <laughs> is to be different. Not assimilate, but stand out and be seen. Be seen to be different for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that in a sense this takes the pressure off. We just need to be your followers. We pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.